Great Scott, you've tuned in to Sidekick Showdown, the podcast that pits your favourite sidekicks head to head and asks the question, who would you want in your corner? I'm Martin Potts and joining me from sunny Malta, it's Adrian May. Age, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Martin. How are you? I'm top of the world. I've booked a flight to come and see you in Malta, Age. I'm delighted. You have. Sorry for that weird response, but I tried to put some different inflection in my voice because I feel like (laughs) I say the same thing every week in the same way. So I'm just Uh, emphasising different words. We're both suffering from a a bit of a (laughs) lack of confidence in the way we normally start these episodes, trying trying to mix it up and keep keep people guessing <laughs> yes yeah you are coming to visit me i'm looking forward to it yes a few weeks november and i'll be over and who knows we may even be able to record an on location both in the same room episode of sidekick showdown who knows that would be wild i would have to look at you in the face while talking all this nonsense i don't know that i could take that <laughs> that would be difficult you'd that see would... how little i actually know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where you like checking the internet while we're talking about things to verify? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Your own, your Every time own, there's a quiz, position. I'm just like immediately googling all of the answers. <laughs> and then, how come you still get them wrong? <laughs> well, you know, there's always room for improvement. <laughs> Thank you so much for everybody who has uh, tuned in so far. This is our seventh episode. Um, with first Oof. six have been very well received, and our, uh, we're delighted with the take up for our last episode, which was a, re- a real super heavyweight clash. In my opinion, this one is not not much smaller, really. Two really good mm. characters today that I'm really, really looking forward to um, chatting about, Age. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've got two big franchises going up again today, so it'll be good to see where we end up this time. Mm. Delving back into the Disney well as, uh, also. They're, mm. uh, Dipping our to... toes back in. Yes, absolutely. They, they have been known to provide us with... Um, well, some good characters so far. Just time to mention our, our top 10, which um, now that we've done six episodes means we've got 12 sidekicks, uh, which means we've sadly said goodbye to a couple of our lesser sidekicks who've dropped off the bottom. Mini Me and Frenchie are gone. Um, so well, you I mean, they're still them. there. They're just not in the top 10. Well, that's all that matters. Wilson and Stifler are in joint ninth uh, down at the bottom, looking over their shoulders nervously. I have mm-hmm. to say, I think they're in trouble. I don't like their odds, yeah. <laughs> well, shall we get started, Age? Let's get right into it. Okay, thank you very much for tuning in to episode 7 of Sidekick Showdown. It's the Bruhaha in Agrabah. In the red corner, it's the larger-than-life supernatural wish-granting machine. With his phenomenal cosmic powers and hampered only by his itty bitty living space, this illuminating contender can make all of your wildest dreams come true. But make your choices wisely, there's no substitutions, exchanges or refunds. He's a one man blue man group, but one thing's for sure, you've never had a friend like him. The ever impressive, the long contained, often imitated but never duplicated, Genie of the Lamp. That was excellent. He did a lot of the heavy lifting for you, didn't he, on his intro? He did, yeah, yeah. Just copy-paste that. Okay. And his opponent, in the blue corner. It's the eccentric, brilliant, slightly unhinged scientist... Who knows that if you're going to travel through time, you should do it with a little style. Guiding Marty McFly with his principled, ethical approach to time travel, and ignoring that approach altogether when it suits his own interests, this dog-loving inventor will create man's greatest ever contraption, 
and then use it in the most unambitious way imaginable to travel periods of 70 years or less. Coming to you at 88 miles per hour, and with 1.21 gigawatts of plutonium generated power behind him, it's Emmett Doc Brown. Good in I think we're getting better at these intros, you know. I think they're getting think a little spicier. <laughs> yeah, I think we've uh, we've got a bit more of the flow. But as you said, uh, mine was basically written for me. I did like my Blue Man Group reference. Though. Yes, yes, you managed to mix it up a little. We mm -hmm. uh, we really should try and hire like Michael Buffer, the the re let's get ready to rumble guy, to to read these. That would be um, yeah. Although or I've, just I've, um edit our voices so we we sound <laughs> a lot more dramatic. I wonder if there's like a, an online. You know, like a program that makes your voice sound like him? Must <laughs> like it an must Alexa be. kind of thing. I would um, be terrified to hear how my weird voice would sound through that, though. Mm, mm. Um, something really weird. Uh, obviously, we're doing these these two um, these two films or film series, Aladdin and and Back to the Future. Uh, I was reading um, about some of the the pre the production for Aladdin and mm -hmm. who was Aladdin originally designed to resemble? Michael J. Fox. Oh really? Yeah, he was kind of the 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 basis for the original for the original art, but then they changed it to um, be more like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise? Yeah, so that's which I think if you think like Tom Cruise, late eighties, early nineties, he does. There is a bit of a a resemblance, although obviously made to be um, somewhat Middle Eastern, although not really. Somewhat, yeah, <laughs> the, the yeah, Disney version of Middle Eastern. Um, yes, which is yeah, just and, turning down the skin tone a little bit. This is also with um, Doc Brown. This is our second Robert Zemeckis character that we reviewed. Do you mm -hmm. know who the first one was? Uh, is this is this my quiz? <laughs> no, that's coming later. It was Wilson. Wilson the volleyball was uh, of course, castaway right. Robert Robert Zemeckis film. So we've uh, already picked up two two uh, Zemeckis characters here. But I think mm -hmm. this one is going to have a, a little more to him personally. Side podcast idea: just reviewing characters from Robert Zemeckis movies. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a witty title now. It's a spin-off. Spin-off of Psychic Showdown. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, without further a blue, <laughs> <laughs> shall we um, jump God. into uh, round one? Chat yes, let's do it. Round one. Fight! So first up, we're only going to be talking, or at least I'm only going to be talking about the 1992 Aladdin films. There are two sequels and a TV series. Uh, but I'm not about that life, so that's it. We're just talking o original genie. So the story of Aladdin follows Aladdin, who's riffraff, a street rat, a scoundrel. Take that. Thank you. <laughs> um, he's got his monkey friend, Abu. Uh, they're barely scraping by. They have to steal from the market, uh, don't have a home, etc., etc. He's sent on a mission by the evil Jafar to retrieve a magic lamp from the Cave of Wonders, um, manages to avoid giving that back to Jafar, and uh, keeps it for himself, and discovers that there is a genie hidden inside of it. Um, genie grants him three wishes. Um, Aladdin wants to become a prince so that he can win the affections of Jafar, uh, no, of Jasmine. <laughs> you can leave that one in. <laughs> Win the affection of Jasmine. Um, he's Aladdin's basically, hot for Jafar. He's hot for, aren't we all? Uh, Aladdin's basically like the heart eyes emoji personified in that he doesn't have much character or depth, except he just really has a big old crush on Jasmine. Mm -hmm. So um, he's he wants to be her 
love and Pro- probably was... his only other real defining characteristic is that he's a fucking liar that's also true yes 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 as is pointed <laughs> out numerous times throughout the film but yeah other, he's basically his entire motivation is to get with getting jasmine's pants uh, understandable uh-huh and he does so well he attempts to do so with the help of genie who grants him wishes and jafar continues to cause mischief and weirdly for a kids movie i found this like oddly difficult to explain so i don't really know why that is but uh you know there's layers it's got depth mm, mm, and it has yeah. a happy ending it certainly does uh aladdin gets the girl and genie gets his freedom uh-huh. which we'll we'll talk about uh, aladdin is the the next or well i say the next i think there's about three coming out before it but it's in the queue to be given the live action remake um it treatment is. now we've we've gone into this kind of thing a couple of times um, in, mm-hmm. in previous episodes. I think we may even have mentioned Aladdin specifically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, possibly. Um, mm. Again, as ever, I'm very unenthused about this whole idea. Will Smith has been cast as the genie. I think he'll probably do quite a good job, to be, to be totally fair. Um, yeah. But I, I think the film is going to be a, a, a spectacular mess. The something that's become apparent with these remakes that Disney are doing is that they seem to be um, trying to right all the perceived wrongs. You know, doing the whole "we're very woke" kind of thing and trying to mm-hmm. fix all the problems. Although with Aladdin, they've made a really half-assed attempt at it because they they've, they're still being accused of uh, whitewashing in terms whitewashing. of casting yeah. um, and 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 that kind of thing. I went to see the stage show last year. Mm. Um, You've you've not seen that, no? No, but I was going to bring it up because I know you have opinions. (laughs) I think the stage show gives, and and the Beauty and the Beast remake, give us a bit of a window into what to um, expect. Oh yeah, and tell us your opinion of the stage show, please, Martin. It was very disappointing. (laughs) The genie was the best part of it, which is why he's on all the posters. The the Friend Like Me sequence is very um, bombastic and and entertaining. And And... there's some good it's not bad it's not terrible i don't want to like completely dump on it but it is a bit a it's way too long um it's a Mm -hmm. lot longer than the film um which is bizarre because they cut out about the back 20 minutes of the film oh wait where all of the actual final conflict happens yeah so the all the snake stuff that's obviously not there um, I think the he doesn't get sent to Nepal or wherever it is the the mountain region. Mm-hmm. So I th- I'm pretty sure it's literally just Jafar gets the lamp, declares himself the Sultan, and then Aladdin tricks him into wishing to be a genie. I'm I'm pretty sure it just cuts everything in between wow. uh, out from there, which is and you know if you've been and seen the Lion King stage show, that is a, an absolutely masterful wondrous technical achievement Um, and Mm -hmm. where the Lion King sees something like the stampede scene and goes how the hell are we going to do that on a on a stage you know this size they find a way and they do it in some really unique clever ways to give the impression and make it seem like a really big scene even that's part of what the magic is yeah exactly whereas the Aladdin stage show goes that set piece looks difficult let's not do it. it It just makes everything seem really small and pokey, and it makes it feel like a really, uh, like a pantomime. Because well, yeah. the the so I I went and saw almost two years ago today. Um, I went and saw the the Cursed Child, the Harry Potter play on the West yes. End, and 
and that was that's something that is kind of the opposite of that almost because it's something that has a very bad story um and i'm a big harry potter fan but has a very bad very bad story ridiculous premise the entire plot is basically garbage but the the visual production of that mm. uh seeing it on on the stage was one of the most incredible things i've ever seen yeah i remember you saying about one thing in particular that was incredibly impressive was it something yeah, invisibility they, cloak or something they did that they had them uh, like disapparating you know into the right. mystery of magic so you know they had their clothes kind of get sucked into this thing they had like the the way they executed it um, I, I haven't read the play since then, and, and obviously for most people that's the only way they've seen it, uh, although that's the only way they've consumed it, I guess. Um, so I can understand why it doesn't doesn't have a very good reputation because the story is cl- like a arguably objectively garbage, but the the production of it is absolutely spectacular. And they clearly did the same thing that the Lion King did, which is say we've got these challenges, how can we do them in a way that's you know impressive and and uh, they, they, they did manage that, whereas clearly Aladdin took a different approach. Yeah. Final thing on, um, well, going back to the, the remake, the live-action remake. Um, yeah. So I want to put my money where my mouth is and, and come out with a couple of predictions right now, which we can come back and revisit um, a, Ooh, year, a year or so from now when that, when that movie comes out. Um, mm-hmm. Firstly, Jasmine is definitely going to have at least one, possibly a gaggle of handmaidens um so that she doesn't seem like such a boring loner right and it would make it seem like she has friends even though they'll actually be her staff Mm -hmm. sultan is not going to be like a fat man baby he'll be like a proud if slightly scatterbrained or you know a bit tunnel visioned uh old-fashioned fellow something like that um And they're going to be really heavy-handed with the gender equality. And so in the stage show, in the film, right at the end, the Sultan says about this law, the law that needs to be changed. He goes, from now on, the princess shall marry whoever she deems worthy. And it's like, cool. Mm -hmm. In the play, I remember this distinctly because I remember laughing. The Sultan says, "Um, uh, whoever she deems worthy and will rule alongside him as his equal. And I was like, look, I welcome the sentiment, of course. I'd love mm-hmm. it if that's the way it was. But frankly, it is ludicrous. So out of keeping with the reality of the medieval Middle East in that mm-hmm. time or even today to say that this would happen. Also, just I don't think it's necessary. Like, it's kind of... You don't need to specify that whether no, or not. It, like, you can just leave it. And, leave if, you, it. and if you make the character which they arguably do with Jasmine, a, you know, forthright, act, you know, active character with, yeah. with agency and so on, then mm-hmm. you don't need to specify that because it will be assumed, there's, how could, what, you know, there's no way this woman would be a, a wallflower. She, she's obviously going to be um, a, a heavy, you know, a big part of this, but... Yeah. Um, so yeah. So anyway, those are my predictions, uh, and we, we can come back and revisit those after the film comes out. And I'm not going to go and see it, so someone will have to let me know if that uh, if that comes true or not. I'll see it. Don't worry. Good for you. So, shall we press Wait, on? Wait, no. And I talk have about... some analysis oh, of very quick analysis that's just as intellectual as yours about mm. Aladdin as a whole. The film. Yeah. Um, Aladdin's the hottest Disney prince, <laughs> and Jasmine's the hottest Disney princess. She's like 15. They're all like fifteen. Yeah. All of them. 
All of them are like 15. Why do they make them so young? Why don't they make them just like 18, 19? I don't know, just above the age of consent at least. Yes. Um, Also, related, the soundtrack is the best Disney soundtrack. Hardly any songs, though. No, but the songs are the best ones. Mm, okay, I mean, so, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say you're wrong there. Um, you are. Name, but, a, um, name a better Disney song <laughs> than One Jump Ahead or A Whole New World or Friend Like Me. You could do it. Circle of Life. No. <laughs> uh, I'll make a man out of you. Oh, a good one, <laughs> but no. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, you know, I'm not going to disagree. Oh, I think Bell, the opening, you know, the opening Beauty and the Beast number, Bell is is excellent as well. That's um, pretty good, but it but doesn't yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Ahead. I've enjoyed listening to uh, Prince Ali and um, Friend Like mm-hmm. Me in particular over the, over the last uh, week or so. But yeah, happy to go along with their. They are pretty hot. They're, they're good looking people, no doubt about it. Yeah, they are very hot. So tell us about the Sorry, genie, Mum, who's listening to this. Um, Jeannie. So I think like the most interesting thing about Jeannie, and I'm, I'm sure you would agree, is that despite being in the movie, not that much, he's the, he is the movie. Like, mm. uh, obviously pl- plot wise, narratively speaking for Aladdin, um, there's no movie without Jeannie because, uh, he dies in the cave of wonders and that's it. Yeah. But like the cultural like impact of the movie is like Jeannie, like Aladdin, is genie and it's when i was re-watching it this time i didn't realize that it took so long for genie to actually come into the film because you think aladdin and you think genie because mm. a aladdin is an empty vessel of a character who just has a crush <laughs> on a girl and, and wants to be rich and stuff um but robin williams's performance in that is so you know spectacular and has made such a significant impression on the animated film space that, yes, uh, so I, I was going to say about this because Robin Williams was something of a, an experiment at the time for Disney because they mm-hmm. tended not to have big, famous, mainstream actors do a lot of their roles. It was usually um, they had like almost like the old the old golden age of Hollywood, um, the studio approach where they had a load of actors on retainer essentially and would just call them up, mm-hmm. which is why you get things like. Um, the Mad Hatter is the same voice as um, the uncle in Mary Poppins and uh, Winnie the Pooh is the same voice as Carr and, and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this was the... But you could see, having done that, Robin Williams such an overwhelmingly positive experience for them and, and obviously made a huge difference and put massive eyes on that film. At a time when they weren't out of the woods, Disney, you know, that they were hitting their stride, but having a big mm. name like that attached to it definitely made a difference and when you see The Lion King which came out two years later was their next one and all of a yeah. sudden the cast is just all star James Jam-backed. Earl Jones Rowan Atkinson Jeremy Irons Matthew Broderick um, and then looking further down the line you've got Mel Gibson in Pocahontas you've got Demi mm-hmm. Moore in Hunchback Kevin Klein in Hunchback Danny DeVito in Hercules and all of a sudden you know it's really just and then you look at today, they're still, uh, you know, casting really famous actors. Dwayne Johnson, just in Moana, uh, Mandy yeah. Moore in Tangled, Zachary Levi in Tangled, etc. You know, Kristen Bell. Kristen um, Bell, yeah. Josh Gad, all these huge, huge actors. And then, of course, on, on their live action remakes, of course, they're yes. casting really hard there as well. 
Um, so, but it was quite an experiment at the time for for Disney to do that, but obviously paid off in spades. Um, yeah. Well, especially, and I'm sure you read all about, you know, that Robin Williams' kind of reluctance to uh, yeah, yeah, get I was involved in the project that. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, reading about it kind of makes sense, but that it ended up kind of becoming such a defining role for him, mm. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I think between that and Hook and Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, yeah. th- those three films all came out within about three years of each other. Mm-hmm. And really solidified Robin Williams to a lot of kids my my kind of age as like the voice of their childhood almost you know or, or a, yeah. a very significant one anyway um, for for sure that I think those three films and Jumanji of course which came out um, in ninety five so I think within five years those four films came out and when was um, Patch Adams fuck Patch Adams who cares <laughs> ninety eight I think okay that's it piece of shit that film (laughs) so genie's personality he comes out of the lamp with a bang uh he is loud he is ridiculous he is a jokester he's full of references pop culture ones that make sense at the time and, and and more than often than not don't he's uh powerful he's happy making fun of himself but at the same time, he has this like very serious side and this very deep side to him as well. I mean, he ends up creating this connection with Aladdin that is um, quite powerful and quite sincere and genuine, despite the obviously the the nature of their relationship initially is one of you know servant to master in, mm. in bringing him out of the in out of the lamp. Um, but he's you know the song that he starts with. Is, is really what he is like as a character. He's a, he's a friend. I mean, he's a friend to Aladdin, but even he's friends to the people that, that he doesn't have a you know, contractual obligation to serve. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He, uh, by the end of the film, he's mm-hmm. developed such a bond with Aladdin that even though earlier on he, he obviously makes a big point and, and something that's really pushing him and his motivation is to be freed from the, the lamp yeah. and, and to have his freedom... But when it gets to the end of the film, he just like quite readily is prepared to forego that, um, mm-hmm. and wants Aladdin and, and Jazz. He's like, no, you know, you need to use your third wish so that you can be with Jasmine still. Um, which you know, uh, we talked in the last episode about Sam Gamgee and his, uh, you know, I can carry you uh, thing, mm-hmm. which of course Genie has a a literal one of. Um, so he does have a yes. uh, an I can carry you, um, but he. Uh, but also talking about going above and beyond and ways that you support your protagonist in unlooked mm-hmm. for ways that's that's sacrificing about as much as as any psychic we've discussed so far i think yeah especially because you do see albeit just in in flashes the the really significant impact that you know his imprisonment and like literal slavery mm. um has on his psyche and I think it's kind of almost um, an interesting reflection maybe of, of Robin Williams an unfortunate but interesting reflection of Robin Williams as a person but he's genie has this very uh, side that's that's dealing with a lot of these demons and that mostly you know when he comes out he's so happy to just be out in the world yeah. that he kind of puts all that aside but there is that that kind of suffering underneath it 
It's um, funny because when you think of the genie, you know, the first things that spring to mind are the songs and the impressions and the, the big crazy wackiness. But mm-hmm. I, I was actually a bit surprised. It's been a little while since I watched Aladdin. Not probably not probably more than a couple of years, but um, it was weird watching it with this head on, you know, with the sidekick showdown head on and, and yeah. going, you know what, actually, if, you, if you're not looking for it, you can, you can miss all this. But there is a bit more to him than than you think and he's got a, a pretty decent arc actually in terms of he goes from you know uh, in servitude and he, and he's very open about what he wants and what his desires and motivations are and rightfully gets very annoyed at Aladdin when he reneges on his promise to free him after um, mm-hmm. after using the second wish which, which lest we forget was the genie literally saving his life from drowning Um, Yes, yeah. And so right after that, Aladdin's like, I'm not going to free you. And he rightfully gets pissed off. But then by the end, he is, as I said, willing to to give up his freedom for another, well, he says something like 10,000 years or something like that. Um, Yeah. Well, especially when you think about the fact that he doesn't enter the film until a 90 minute film until the 35 minute mark (laughs) and undergoes this kind of, this this development. The other um, thing with Genie, go- it's talking about going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, Aladdin gets a lot of extras thrown in, doesn't he? He does. He does. <laughs> I mean, he gets. He gets. Uh, I mean, even just the wish for to be a prince. Like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> it's a prince with all the trimmings, all the sides. So, okay, well, you're a prince. You know, a, a, a genie who is, uh, you know, just coasting going through the motions would be like okay you're a prince you might not even change his clothes there's nothing to say that you <laughs> you know well yeah, you're, you're, you're a prince you literally are a prince um yeah and just make him prince of a realm somewhere um mm-hmm. but no he gets the the outfit change which is i guess a a, a fairly necessary um requirement uh, mm-hmm. and whatnot but he gets the whole procession the pr- a parade get, yes. it seems, it's not not really clear whether or not his servants and flunkies uh, stick around after that song, or if they just disappear into the ether. But um, yeah, he's got transport thrown in, all sorts. Yeah, and even after that, obviously he stays around. I mean, he sticks around because he's kind of got to. But he's, uh, you know, he's basically the best wingman ever. Yeah. Like Aladdin would get nowhere with Jasmine without him. Without his advice, telling him to. Uh, Telling him to call her punctual. <laughs> punctual, yes. But I mean, it works. But uh, yes, he he hangs out as, and he you know, he wants to be there, and that's I think the a testament to his character. I'm talking about him like mm. he's you know some if life changing you know friend of mine, but <laughs> he's a testament to his character that he does he does stick around. Um, and he does do like that's almost his defining characteristic is giving more than he needs to, yeah. um, and he 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 wants to help, but he also has like such strong values and morals, which you can see when he um, is his servitude is given to Jafar. Mm. That and he's very you know, reluctant. He, yeah, and he does it because he's got to. Yeah, he's doing it very. But, and he's very like apologetic. I was, you you yeah. touched on something a second ago. He's got way more of a moral centre than Aladdin. I think Genie oh, yeah. seems to... He sees the value in... Like, when Aladdin wishes to be turned into a prince, he's pretty encouraging of that. So perhaps it's that he recognises that Aladdin needs to be a prince to get through the front door. Yeah. But as soon as he's in the front door, 
Jeannie's like, okay, now you need to come clean. You need to tell her, tell her the truth because she's not going to mind. She's she she liked you from what you've said. Yeah. Um, he's really yeah. only got Aladdin's say so to go on. Um, mm-hmm. but he's like, no, get you. You, you de- definitely should come clean now and and be honest with her. That's the way forward. And Aladdin's like, nah, nah fuck that. Nah, gotta keep on lying. <laughs> and then and then double yeah, down I- with even more lies. <laughs> yes, instead of just then, yeah, my God. Aladdin but I do think I think that's one of the interesting things about his character is that like he is you know literally in servitude for all of these years but he still retains his agency Mm. um and he uses that obviously as a hilarious part of the film Mm -hmm. um but also I think just brings the film any of the depth that it has really comes from Genie because none of the other characters have many dimensions. I mean, most of them are animals meant for <laughs> other non-verbal creatures. Yeah. So. Carpet's pretty great though. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me I feel a bit sorry for the carpet because I feel like Aladdin and Jasmine might consummate their marriage on him, but <laughs> he's a good dude. If they ever get married, I know you said we weren't going to talk about them, but they, by the uh, third Ugh. third film, the second sequel, you, they still haven't tied the knot. It's like, come on, guys! <laughs> I thought I, I mean, thought, I thought she had three days. I thought she had three days to get married. <laughs> really you know. long days. Oh dear, silliness. Do you want to talk about those dumb movies for a second? No, not really. No, the third one's pretty good, to be honest. Um, okay, it's got a really really funny bit where the. Um, where the genie comes out of a giant whale in the guise of Steamboat Willie, um, and he's playing like a genied up version of Mickey Mouse. It's that's really really hilarious. But um, I've seen that clip, but that, that's all. It's really really funny, but that's like the best bit of the whole movie. <laughs> a couple of the songs in them are pretty good. The I don't really remember the second one, but the third one I watched quite a lot as a kid. I had it on video and um, watched it a few times, so I still remember a couple of the songs reasonably well. Um, and that had. Robin Williams back as the genie in that third one, whereas it was uh-huh. Dan Castellaneta of uh, Simpsons fame in the in the series and the Return of Jafar, uh, which is a, yes. a lovely bit of trivia, I think that. Yes, I, I think um, uh, I just think that the thing that genie does best is, I mean, he, he not only does he. We've talked before about how the, a sidekick should basically make the character the best version of themselves, and I think you really see that in genie in in Aladdin. He tries. <laughs> Well, because, like, the moments of greatest sincerity and heart in the film come in Genie's interactions with Aladdin, and that's that's not entirely one-sided. You know, you get to see some of that that um, depth in Aladdin as well. I mean, he kind of does bring that out. What, you know, who is otherwise a relatively one-dimensional character who has a single objective. Um, but uh, th- their interactions, I think, are some of the sweetest in the film. Yep. Definitely. Um, we We've got all this far and barely mentioned the biggest thing which is that uh-huh. he's hilarious he's one of the funniest he's very funny disney characters i've alluded to ever. it a few times mm-hmm. um I, I can't think of a single joke that doesn't land for me it's so i mean from what i can gather robin williams gave him about 36 hours of improv and they just picked out the bits they liked yeah like it. 52 different characters <laughs> yeah. i think i was reading and um, they just picked out the best i believe which it. must have been a hilarious and amazing job to do Let, yeah. listen to 52 characters that robin williams has done and, pick and then out you the choose funniest. your favorites and put them in the yeah and put them in the movie but yeah i it just 
every single joke is funny and and sometimes they're coming at you thick and fast as well you know visual gags and mm-hmm. uh, you know impressions and so <laughs> it, it, there's such weird impressions as well it's biz- I, I don't think disney would do this today and and i guarantee no. you they don't do it in the remake if will smith does a lot of impressions they're going to be really obvious famous ones that are going to yeah. be relevant to today's audience the you know millennials or whatever uh, whereas Robin Williams is doing impressions of like Ed Sullivan, who hadn't been on TV in like twenty years at that point, or yeah, um, just really, really weird. The the guy or even does... like the the name drop of he mentions Robert De Niro. Is that Robert De Niro? Well, he does. He does the uh, kind of like the you talking to me. He's like you know you rub my lamp, you wake me up. You know, I mean for a kids movie, it's great. Exactly. Yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't get any of those, but I still, but they were just no. funny. On their own, the um, when he does the British, the, the you know, uh, there are a couple of uh, addendums, you know, quid pro quos. Mm-hmm. That's somebody in particular, but I've no idea who it is. Um, okay, but it, but the it British is, one, so you should. But know. It is a famous old British TV personality, I think. There's no Australian ones in there. <laughs> Sadly, not. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a really weird choice. But anyway, every single one really, really funny. All his jokes really, really funny. The bits of like when he's helping out Aladdin get. Uh, dress so he's like looking for the the recipe to make a prince you know yeah uh, he's like pulling out sebastian from the little mermaid and stuff like that really really amusing stuff all the way through just incredibly consistent well age before we go any further i think it's time to send you down the old memory hole for another mm-hmm. ages memory test are you ready <laughs> my favorite part of every fortnight yes i'm ready <laughs> great Uh, it's a pretty quick one. There's not too many to get this time out. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am after today is Jasmine escapes the palace, uh, leaps over the walls of the palace and goes into town. Yep. Um, and there are many vendors there trying to push things into her face. It's the old, you know, the Middle Eastern market peddlers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just like you to name everything that she's offered to buy. Um, there are six of them. Passing mark today is five. Oh, God. Because they're very, they're yelled, you know, they're pretty okay. well established. A necklace? Yes, a necklace for the pretty lady. And she's not offered the apple, is she? She steals that. No, she steals the apple. Something creepy. What's the creepy thing? <laughs> a dead animal? What? No, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> Fish? Fresh fish! We catch them, you buy them! So that's a yes? Okay. <laughs> um, fuck. Can I have a hint? Mm, one person offers her three different things. Sweets? Dates. Dates? Sugar dates, Sugar yes. Date. We've got three. Three more to get. I think I'm out. So close. Okay, the first guy is offering her to buy a pot. A pot. No finer pot in brass or silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is the guy. This is the guy you needed. This guy would have helped you out. Sugar dates. Sugar dates and figs. Sugar dates and pistachios. I did almost say figs. Should have yeah. done it. 
So close and yet so far, no mm. pass mark for you this week, Age. Unfortunately, a, a, a fairly, well, a literally middling three out of six, I'm afraid to say on this occasion. But it's fine. I'm used to failure. <laughs> Better luck next time and join us again for another exciting instalment uh, of Age's Memory Test. So I was actually watching, when I rewatched this um, here, uh, my housemate came out and joined me and she's never seen Aladdin before. So she's a 20-something-year-old young woman who has never seen Aladdin. So I got to watch Aladdin watching someone else, like with (laughs) someone else watching Aladdin for the first time. That sounds like a real treat. It was so nice just what, like, because, you know, you do kind of, I'm not really one to laugh out loud much in films anyway. Like I'm kind of just, I'll silently appreciate it, you know? Yeah. Um, But, uh, and especially a movie that I've seen quite a few times, obviously, that's that's even more so um but getting to sit there next to her what like with her giggling away at all of the (laughs) jokes and just being having that really tangible reminder of how you know what it was like when you saw it the first time you were probably like five or six yeah exactly so it was i mean if recommend viewing aladdin if you if you find someone who hasn't seen it before watch it with them because it's quite a delightful experience it brings that like childlike element back i think in a way i believe you um Mm -hmm. Knockout blow? Wait, no, I have a question. I have a question. Okay. So I have a question for you. What would you wish for? If you you can just make one wish. Um, that's a good question. Um, I feel a bit on you the You can't spot. do like... It's not going to be world peace, peace or some bullshit or like, like that. Or no. like the end to hunger. Yeah, yeah. It's going to no, be something no. selfish. No, no, no. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be... Um, uh, I think it's going to be like some kind of superpower, like the power of flight. Ooh, you know? interesting. I, th- I think that's a pretty ubiquitous human feeling there. The power of flight would be fucking great. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go for Superman-style flying, you know. Okay, not wings. No, no, no. I don't want anything to okay. get in the way. Just, the, just literally the ability to levitate and just go wherever, you know. Mm-hmm. Cool, love it. What about you? Yeah, look, as soon as I asked this, I was like, he's going to ask me the same question back, well, and course. I've got no idea. Yeah, you should have thought of that, shouldn't you? I should have. Uh, the problem is, is that the the one I would pick is the one that you have just picked, but I'll do something else. Is it... No, I can't say that. That's too depressing. <laughs> Go on. I was going to say, to be happy. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done to our podcast? <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> Okay, uh, well, here's hoping you find that without the aid of a magic lamp page. No, no, no um, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going in a different direction. Ah, uh, teleportation, teleportation. Happy teleportation, good. Okay. Yeah, teleport to a happy place. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness cool. me. Well, on that cheery note. Way to lay it on thick. Let's go to knockout so, blow. Let's go to knockout blow. Knockout blow. So my knockout blow for Aladdin the film and for genie the character is uh obviously when aladdin is drowning under the sea in the mm-hmm. water and uh genie already knowing that aladdin's take advantage of one loophole and unable to let him do it again is absolutely desperate to save aladdin and uh takes a very generous uh <laughs> quote-unquote wish from indication of a wish from aladdin um to pull him out he's yeah. that where he's down there begging and it's one of those moments where you do see genies kind of 
you know, sincerity at its at its at his most sincere. Yeah, like he um, wouldn't do that for Jafar, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he it's one of the earlier signs in the film of of the relationships that's developed between them, as well as definitional good sidekick behavior in uh, in saving his protagonist's life. So yeah, shows it's an good judgment, moment. makes the right call. Exactly, it's an emotional moment. Um, it's a good sidekick moment, and uh, it's 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 just nice. So that's my knockout blow. Pew pew. Cool. That was a that was a punch noise. In case you didn't get that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's been a bit difficult to come up with a knockout blow because Genie steals every single scene that he's in. Mm-hmm. So you've really got anything he does. But I've gone with the Prince Ali parade. Um, I think it's a an amazingly good musical number really underrated i think it often gets overlooked because of friend like me and you know, i think it kind of people mm-hmm. forget about the prince ali because of because friend like me is sort of his anthem um where but i just think that whole scene is really gorgeously put together uh and essentially genie wins over an entire town in three minutes yep so and of course the whole point of the whole of the prince wish was to get him in the door so he can get back in touch with jasmine and I think Genie gives him, and we talked about earlier, going above and beyond, gives Aladdin the best uh, introduction, the best platform to uh, jump off from uh, possible. Fantastic. Love it. That's that. Shall we go to round two? Let's go. Round two. Fight! So Back to the Future is uh, a film trilogy that was released, the original in 1985, and then two and three were shot back to back and released in 89 and 90. Um, the tell, they tell the tale of Marty McFly, who's a, a young 17, 18 year old, um, who's a bit of a slacker, um, as his mm. principal certainly makes mention who inexplicably it's never really explained why but he hangs around with uh, Doc Brown uh, a lot of the time who is I'm not really sure how old he's supposed to be we should maybe talk about that Um, but Mm -hmm. he's certainly much older and via his uh, burgeoning relationship with him that ends up going back in time to 1955 where he ends up inadvertently uh, intervening in the the, what would have been the meeting of his parents and then has to kind of uh, double back to make sure that everything goes to plan so that he ends up not being erased from existence. In the second and third movies, uh, he travels to the future, to 2015, ends up going back to an alternate 1985, which is caused by the events that happened in 2015, ends up having to go back to a back to 1955 again to re-intervene once more in that uh, time period on the same night as his original adventure, and then finally, in, in the third one, it's a lot more of a, a straightforward story set in 1885 in the Old West. Well, it's set in the same town, but in, in that time uh, where he uh, has to adopt a, a cowboy-esque persona and ultimately get him and Doc back to 1985 for the final time. It, it's an absolute roller coaster. I have to say, I'd got a bit sick of them. In the UK, the Back to the Future movies were shown on ITV2 about every weekend for about 10 years over here. Mm-hmm. And so whenever mm-hmm. you were in on like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, you just stick on um, and you've got nothing else to do, you stick the telly on, put on ITV2 and guaranteed every single time there's a Back to the Future movie on. Um, 
So I got a bit fed up with them, and I hadn't watched them in quite a while, but I enjoyed them tremendously watching them again. Yeah, uh, they're fantastic time. movies. I really, really enjoyed them. The second one I'd never really given much care to. Uh, I hadn't, mm-hmm. hadn't, hadn't really enjoyed it previously. I still maintain that a lot of it is fucking dreck, but... <laughs> Particularly the future bit. I don't like the future bit pretty well at all. Um, uh-huh. And every time they put two Michael J. Foxes or two whoever's on the screen, yeah, it's really I find it really irritating and just hacky. Um, I, I don't like it. I find almost all the future characters are really annoying. Uh, like, and they're sort of supposed to be, I think, but I just find it very agitating whenever they're on screen. Um, but amazingly ambitious, I think the two the, the two sequels. Like the first one is just a nice self-contained little sci-fi kind of movie. Yeah. But I think the sequel's incredibly ambitious in what they try to do. And I think in two there's a there's an awful lot that I really, really came to appreciate a lot more um this time around. I love the dystopian nineteen eighty five with Biff as Donald Trump. Yeah, um, which is basically what he is. This and it's such a, so unexpected when you. I mean, you kind of know it's like, oh, he's taking the almanac. Like, he's probably going to be rich, but it's just such a, you know, unexpected, but yeah, equally foreseeable plot twist. He have you ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? I have. It's really one of, one of my favorite films, and really, really similar to the scene there where George Bailey goes into the town and um and everything's changed because he wasn't there you know uh mm-hmm. this kind of alternate reality really similar i think i i think it was based off that scene to be honest because there's too many similarities, too many for, similarities. It, for, for it not to be yeah but i love 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 that dystopian alternate 1985 um i quite like some of the special effects in those movies at the time were really really cleverly done as well they were some of the first films to have the whole two of the same actor on screen at the same time and interacting with each other uh, crucially, you know. Um, yeah, and they did, I mean, admittedly not always, yeah, not always the best, top, uh, best, you can, you, it's pretty obvious, but they, they do find some clever ways to execute it. Yeah, there's one shot which I had to go back and watch a couple of times because I wasn't exactly sure how they'd done it. It took, it took a little while for me to spot it, where it's when they come back to the dystopian 85 and uh-huh. Doc is flying the DeLorean in and he's flying it down onto the road and then it's and then it hits the road and he drives along and pulls into the driveway and it looks yeah. totally like pretty well seamless and I was like how did they do that and I felt like such an idiot when I went back and looked closely because all it is is they put a lamppost in the foreground and that provides like a vertical divider um uh-huh. and so it's literally on the right hand side of the lamppost is the CG shot of the car flying in and then blatantly they just got him to drive along the road and everything left of the lamppost is just the car driving along the road really really smart special effects and i I love little bits like that i think that's incredibly clever yeah i also think the scene with the um train in the third film where when the logs start going off Mm -hmm. and like that looks visually that looks spectacular i mean like the way they like have just done that whole scene and when it falls into the ravine and everything it just think mm-hmm. it looks amazing yeah absolutely um the colors and everything then the fireworks and i don't know i just really like it 
yeah no it's 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 a great scene and very and it's kind of tense as well because you're mm-hmm. you, you, you don't know what's what's going to happen they're, they're trying to get um everyone back to 1985 and it's like a ticking clock you know the speed's ramping up and claire is there etc yeah no i love it and I, and I love back to the future three i think it's great um yeah so the other thing that because they were shooting these two movies back to back they did some really neat little things in two foreshadowing the events that happen in three um which mm-hmm. i liked as well there's a little video where they mention mad dog tannen yep biff is watching a clint eastwood film where he uses a bulletproof vest which is what mm-hmm. marty then does at the end of three there's a bit in two where doc is, mentions that the clock is malfunctioning in the delorean which is how he ends up getting sent back to uh, 1885 and then i love that the ending to two is so clever um the fact that doc yeah. has just left a uh, left a package for him for 70 years which and quite... their like blatant curiosity and they're desp- like the western union guys like what is in it yeah although when marty then starts reading it he sort of uh, seems to l- lose curiosity <laughs> he actually seems a little bit like let down he should be like doing backflips like how could this possibly how could he possibly know this was going to happen but whatever um great films and just Oh, real joy to watch them. Um, so, Doc Brown mm-hmm. is possibly the greatest scientist in the history of the Earth. Case closed. Should we go to scores? Or? <laughs> well, he's um, he's obviously an absolutely brilliant scientist, arguably mm-hmm. the greatest ever. He's master time travel. That's true. And the best part is it's all based on a true story, so... <laughs> um, but he does it in addition to a load of other things he's got going on. He's always got little side projects happening. Um, yeah. he, wor- he works in a untidy, disorganised surroundings, but he's like... His Which brain is, is yeah, yeah, a sign of a re- of a real genius, you know. Um, yeah, and regardless of the ethics of the time machine, which we'll get mm. to, uh, <laughs> he's undoubtedly Nobel Prize worthy, surely. Yeah, 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 and I love that as a character. Like he, he's so in his own head in a really good way. Like he's just there's so much going on there, and obviously it's uh, it's fiction, it's a film, but Christopher Lloyd does such an incredible job of that character and you can just, you, it's so believable. Like he sells it so well that yep. he is this, you know, genius with just all of these insane, not insane in a bad way, but crazy ideas coming out of his head and he doesn't yeah. care what anyone thinks. And that's why he's got this such close bond with Marty because Marty's also has this curiosity and, and is a and, bit of an uh, outcast as well. He's, you, you yeah. know, it's not, it's not really elaborated on that much, but at the start, you know, it's really just that one line from uh, the principal where he's like, you know, you're a waster or whatever, and then he gets t- his band gets turned down for the Battle of the Bands, etc. Yes, um, by Huey Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. By the way, on that note, Huey Lewis and the News did two um, themes for the original Back to the Future, and I think they did a third song for the the third film as well. So they obviously mm-hmm. did Power of Love, which everyone knows. And then over the end credits, there's a song called Back in Time. It's yeah. way better. I love Back in Time so yeah, much. It's, a it's so much better than Power of Love, which is very good anyway. Um, yeah. But I love Back in Time a huge amount. I just want to mention that. 
No worries. Did you know apparently Hugh Lewis, they were also approached to do the sound, the song for Ghostbusters? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, this, and this ended up with Ray Parker Jr. then ripping them off and getting yeah. sued by Hugh Lewis. <laughs> yep. Have you heard I Want a New Drug by Hugh Lewis in the News? No. Okay, that's the song you need to hunt down because that is specifically okay. the song that Ray Parker Jr. ripped off. It is oh, a okay. carbon copy of the Ghostbusters theme. I would highly recommend it. It's a really good, okay. uh, really good song as well. Um, okay. So the ethics of time travel and the DeLorean and Doc Brown. Um, mm-hmm. This is where Doc slightly lets himself down a bit. Really, um, yes. spends an awful lot of time lecturing Marty about messing around with the, the space-time continuum. There's our patented Martin Potts impression of the week. <laughs> more of more impressions than the genie, I tell you. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's not healthy to know too much about someone's future, Marty, and etc. Et so, uh-huh. which he's obviously right, you know, he, and every time he says it to Marty, he's right, and, and that's the correct stance to take. He's saying, you know, you, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be interfering in these things. For obvious reasons. Uh, I've made a list. Here are some of the ways that <laughs> Doc uh, ignores his own advice. Um, firstly, he reads Marty's letter in the first one, yep. of course. Um, well, I figured, what the hell? What do you mean, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> um, he speaks to his past self in 1955, which he specifically, that very thing, he specifically warns Marty and um, Jennifer too about uh, oh, <laughs> I forgot to mention this, by the way. I've got to say about Jennifer. I love how when they thought there was only going to be one movie, they really yeah. wrote themselves into a corner by having the ending of the film be her getting in the car as well. And yeah. then they very elegantly write themselves out of that corner by throwing her in an alleyway <laughs> at the start yes. of the cycle. It's like, I'll just fucking love her in there. That'd be all right. <laughs> we don't want her. <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, and then just dump her on a, a chair swing in in Trump, yeah. in the dystopian nineteen eighty five as well, where like yeah, people are getting right. shot in the street. Anyway, yeah. so speaks to his past self in nineteen fifty five. Uh, he mm-hmm. flies the DeLorean in public in nineteen fifty five when he's like hovering over Biff's car, um, in that sort of tunnel scene when Marty's trying to take back the the almanac. He tells Marty tip, tips off Marty about the car accident that's going to happen in his future. Uh-huh. Then in the third one, this is where things really um unravel for, oh, for Doc's can I just say, code. The entire plot of the second movie, the premise is Doc has decided that Marty needs to intervene in his own future. Well, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. Um he, Like he, that's the plot of the film. It's he, Doc going, I refuse to accept this version of the future rather mm. than just this is how it goes. So I'm going to you know, change it. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, go on to the. And third. it's really and it's really weird because you'd think that Doc could just probably, if he really wanted to, could just find a way to stop that happening. You know, but whatever. Um, so in the third one, things really start to unravel. His his code is gone. It's the film where he shouts the loudest about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he saves Clara from falling into Clayton Ravine. Now that is, I think, a fairly benign one because all it really. Um, effects is uh, the name of the renaming of that of that canyon. So, yes. so get, my head got so twisted up in not thinking about the different timelines for Clara, like yeah, because she's on the tombstone 
but if she's on the tombstone, but she was going to die, but then the ravine was named after her, so she had to die, but then how could she be? I, I, I figured it out it's best but... not to bother. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you remember Basil Exposition in Austin Powers too, don't you? I do, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Take his advice. I suggest you don't worry about this sort of thing and just enjoy yourself. That goes for you all, too. Yes. So, anyway, I think that's not too bad one. Mm-hmm. But what really is... This is terrible. This is the worst thing. He falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and starts an entire new family tree that did not previously exist. True, because they have yes. two sons. Now, you know what it's like. Love being such a, a weird and wonderful thing. And, you can, and so much random chance that goes into this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Chance encounters can change. Could in, you know introducing new people could change things immeasurably in this way. People that are going to stick around. I'm not talking about Marty McFly in 1955 who pops in for a couple of days and then disappears. Um, yeah. I'm talking about they've got two boys who are going to exist in that timeline and may well take a wife in the future and mm-hmm. procreate themselves. Now we're introducing more people into the. Into the world that were in the think, original though, that, timeline. That Doc has kind of, re- with the invention of the train time machine, which is a stupid looking contraption, he <laughs> has kind of removed himself from the pass- the regular passage of time in a way. It seems like, like they're, they're touring time sort of thing. That's the, sort exactly. of implied, isn't it? But okay, yeah. well, but if they stay put for any time whatsoever, these kids could end up procreating, um, although they're a bit weird, so perhaps they won't. Um, <laughs> Right. Shamey McShamerson. So creepy. Um, yeah. But anyway, all I was getting at is if you take that to its logical conclusion, 100 years later in 1985, um, mm-hmm. it's, there's a good chance that due to the, the butterfly effects or whatever of, of this, that there are many people who existed in the original timeline that are wiped out completely, that don't exist. Yes. So, or if Clara would have otherwise married somebody else. Clara died in Clayton Ravine. In one timeline, in another timeline, she meets Doc well, and then the, he dies. In the quote, in the quote, pure timeline, right? She doesn't procreate. Uh-huh. So, I think she, those she two. Die, fall, yes. I think those two falling in love and being together is absolutely fine. I don't think. I don't okay. think that's going to cause too their much. their decision to procreate. But the, but having children has the potential to fuck up everything. Okay, but we are talking eighteen eighty five. I don't know what the contraceptive options were like in eighteen eighty five. Tough shit. Oh, just don't have sex with your lovely, your lovely sexy uh, wife who's way y- prettier than you. Yeah, tough. He's a scientist. Okay. He's the one who's always bleeding. It's his code. Anyway. Okay. Um, okay. Last two well, things. you're the one who has to tell him you can't have sex with his pretty girlfriend. Last two things, which we've sort it. of already touched on. He mm-hmm. flies a massive steampunk train in broad yeah. daylight in 1985. Um, yeah. And finally, despite going on about wanting to destroy the time machine, which he spends a lot of time doing in the, in the two and three, builds another one and appears yeah. to be using it fairly casually to sort of take holidays through time. Well, you know, it's family holidays. Family four, it's expensive to holiday together. So you've got to take what you can get. You've, you've kind of torn him apart. Do you want to build him up a little bit? Yes, absolutely I will. Um, I just think that's where he really lets himself down because he's got this really supposedly principled approach to his science you know it's all about the science 
Um, Unlike Genie, who sticks with his morals as best he can, despite being literally forced to do otherwise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Doc Brown um, compromises him at every available, his at every available opportunity. Exactly, and and always yeah. for his own benefit as well, or largely for his own benefit, um, which is exactly the thing benefit. that he, yeah, or for Marty's, but this is the exact thing that he says you can't do and it's not on to do that. You know, and he, he rightly digs out Marty when Marty's like, oh, I'm going to take that almanac and put some bets on. Um, mm-hmm. and, After and he, making a joke right, in the first movie about gambling and winning a bunch yeah, of money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you rightly choose him out about that, but then essentially does not far off the same, the same thing. He doesn't necessarily make himself financially richer, but he... Um, you know, he he does things for his own benefit. But anyway, and he certainly secures the timeline where Marty's family are financially wealthy. Well, yeah, there's that. Although they still live in the same house, which is anyway. Let's not bother. Do you want to add a hypocrisy score to the <laughs> scorecard score this week? And you can ten. Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yes, I will build him back up because I do think he's a great character. I love his relationship with Marty. It's a really. Mm-hmm. Wa- very similar, in fact, to the genie and Aladdin, I think, in, in some ways. Really just a warm, genuine friendship. Um, it's never... Yeah. It's never, it's not only never established why or how or when they became friends or whatever, but no one actually questions it, ever. The, the, yeah. the, the principal's the only one who's like, oh, you're hanging around with that loon, but we've already established that he's a knob anyway, so it doesn't matter what he thinks. But... And even then, he's, he's just being judgy about it. He's not actually saying, like... like you shouldn't do it or questioning why they're together. It's just... Yeah, well, he's kind of implying that Doc is a crank, you know, and that Mm -hmm. no good will come of him sort of thing. But Jennifer never says, like, why do you hang around with this old man? You're 17. And his parents are never like, oh, why are you hanging around with that weirdo? Or or, it's not really clear if they even know about him, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, it's not not questioned. So... Uh, and yeah, it's not established how or, or when they became friends, but who cares really? Um, it's a really nice, quite rare portrayal of the of two friends with. How old do you think Doc is? I think I might be slightly biased because I think I read something about it, but I think he's in his sixties. Yeah, I I was because you've got to take the nineteen eighty five and the nineteen fifty five version, right? And figure it out yeah. from, and kind of triangulate from both of those. But he he already looks fairly old in the nineteen fifty five version. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with something like thirty five and sixty five. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that about actually tracks also with what I was reading. But yes, I think that's about right. Yeah. Did you see the um the clip of them on Jimmy Kimmel the, a couple of years ago when it was the the anniver- it was the the actual date that they fly to in it was I think is it October twenty no, first twenty fifteen it's a really okay. nice little clip and, and they Jimmy Kimmel's yeah. just chatting about Back to the Future and then all the lights go out and the music hits and the DeLorean drives in and Christopher Lloyd and Michael J Fox get out and uh, and it's a, a really funny bit about uh-uh. oh my God we're here in the future I bet you've all got like flying cars and stuff and we're like yeah. no. Nah, no, not really. <laughs> I'll look it up. I really, it's, I have a it's really soft neat. spot for Michael J. Fox. I think he's lovely. Yeah, he he does pretty well. Obviously, he's suffer, suffering with his um, Parkinson's, uh-huh, which Parkinson's is really sad. But he yeah. uh, and Christopher Lloyd basically looked exactly the same. His his, his voice yeah. has lost a bit of power. You know, he's quite sort of like softly spoken now, a bit. Uh, you know, like like older gentlemen get, but um, mm-hmm. still looked basically the same, which I just found hilarious. Um, 
Did so, you hear that apparently, in twenty as of twenty fifteen at least, Michael J. Fox's kids hadn't seen the movies? No, I did not know that. What, why? Yeah, has apparently, he, I have has no he idea. Kept them from. I, hmm. I I don't know. I didn't watch the, uh, the interview. wasn't available. I think it was a yeah. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think it was a, a Comic Con thing. Uh, but yeah, apparently they haven't seen them, which is insane. Uh, well, I wonder why that is. Um, mm. I, I don't know we'll if he does, does he not want his kids to, it's weird it's very strange yeah, um, yeah, yeah. maybe will... it's just too good a movie for them because I was also reading that apparently the first film gets given out in a in a screenwriting course at a California university the, the first movie screenplay gets given as the perfect screenplay yeah so oh well yeah it's pretty good. close well pretty you know good. what it is it's his kids something's gotta be done about his kids <laughs> Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> um, so, just before we go on to um, knockout blow, there's something I, I've been wanting to uh, to talk about a lot, mm-hmm. which is Doc Brown's sick ass sniper rifle in the third film. <laughs> um, good yeah. God, this thing is amazing, and it got me thinking about movie guns, you know, and thinking of famous movie weapons thinking that normally it's not the gun itself that is the cool thing. It's normally wrapped up in the character. If you think like Dirty Harry or James yep. Bond's Walter PPK or Scarface with the big whatever that is. and Clint Eastwood. Clint, yeah, exactly. All of these all these guys. Um, Planet Terror, the woman with the machine gun for a leg. Mm-hmm, sure. I'm not, I'm yeah, not yeah. seeing it. But, but this... River Tan. Yes. Um, but... Doc Brown's sniper rifle, I don't think, is ever mentioned in this discussion about, like, the best guns in movies or whatever. And it really ought to be. This thing is a thing of beauty. It's such a pity that he doesn't get to shoot more things with it. I'd love to see him just brutally murder one of Biff's, like, henchmen, or Mad Dog Tannen's um, henchmen with it. It would just be so funny to see him shoot one of them with it, and it's such (laughs) a good-looking machine. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So I just wanted to espouse my my love of that sniper rifle. If you're not, and if of you can't of... picture it, go and watch that film or search on Google Images for Doc Brown sniper rifle. You will see this lovely kind of steampunky kind of thing with lovely, but also simple, I mean, oh. beautiful, sleek. Yeah, you know, it is. It's a very nice gun. Absolutely I gorgeous. do think we might have talked more about the gun than than Doc Brown as an actual sidekick rather than as a character who. <laughs> oh, okay, so yeah, you're right. We we haven't actually talked about that too much. You are not convinced that he's a sidekick at all. Uh, look, I uh, I think I'm not not convinced that he's not a sidekick at all. But I do think he much more fills the kind of mentor role, uh, which is I think the difference between a sidekick and a mentor. Though I do think that as a podcast we have and are and will continue to use mentors as sidekicks because they do kind of fill that purpose. But Yeah, the, I, you the know, sidekick... if it, it, supporting character showdown wouldn't fit on the logo, would it? So Yeah, and it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as nicely. But mm. the sidekick is, is the one who, you know, propels the protagonists, you know, their their actions propel them forward. That You know, Samwise being our current current uh, favorite for that but their, ba- their basic their function is 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 to support the protagonist i think doc brown fits more in kind of the gandalf dumbledore thing of a bit more orchestrating of of it and you're doc kind of watching the prota- 
Yeah, you're watching the protagonist kind of explore the world that the mentor has created or, you know, that invi- invited them into kind of thing. Mm. You know, even like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, they've introduced them to this space and you, and you, you join the protagonist on their adventures. But that being said, I do think that, um, that even through the story, Dr. Brand does still have, have a sidekick role. I mean, Marty basically can't do anything in any of the stories without getting walkie-talkie advice from Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah. So the whole scene getting the almanac is just Marty being like, I haven't got it. I screwed up. I can't do it. <laughs> what do I do? And Doc Brown giving him advice. So, you know, there's definitely an element of sidekickery there, um, whether that's inherent to the mentor or whether that's in addition to the mentor role. Mm, mm. Mm. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really see him as a mentor, really, because... Marty doesn't exactly like turn to him for advice really he, he gets information from him a lot um, and things get explained mm-hmm. uh, to him but I don't think he defers to him and they, they seem to actually both work quite well you know normally it's like Doc is your your man in the control tower he's mission control sort of thing and Marty's out there yeah. he's Batman doing the doing the the, mm-hmm. the the work that basically Doc is Fighting. too old to to do uh, to, to you know largely, um, but I think the fact the, the other thing is of course in the third one is that the Doc almost becomes just a second protagonist really uh, because the the story yes. with him in Clara is quite significant. It's actually is really just as much about him as it is about Marty. Um, Marty's such a big cock block with with Clara. Oh god, he's horrible, isn't he? What you know? He's so mean I, to I her. guess to be fair, he he's just doing what Doc High has really told him he should be doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's finally being yeah. the one to take the advice. But yes, no, I I, I agree that I think um, in the third one, Doc Brown does become a bit more Doc Brown. I went full name there, kind of uh, a bit more of an equal protagonist, but. He does still. I, I, I guess I take your point. He, they, they do help each other a lot. Yeah, I love. I do love his um his love story. To be fair, I think it's the sweetest thing ever. Uh, just when he's mm-hmm. when he's being all bashful with her and they're talking about Jules Verne together. I, I actually find it really, really endearing. To be honest. Yeah, I also like it, and you get more more with that than you do with Jennifer and Marty. Who by the yeah. end, it's like you feel like you're meant to care about Jennifer, but you really don't. No, um, she's a really very poorly written character. Um, yeah, offensively bad, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Didn't help that they had to recast her after the first one. Yes, but which I didn't notice really. I'll be honest, really? I didn't notice until I. Well, it's because she's bare, she's re- in it so little, I guess. Doing research for this, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um. So yeah. That, that's all I got. Do you want to? You ready to go to knockout blow? You got more? No, that's it. Let's go to knockout blow. Super knockout blow. Uh, so I have got for Doc's uh, knockout blow here um, the end of the first movie when the plan is all coming together, the lightning storm is swelling up, and all of a sudden, oh no, the mm-hmm. wires become tangled and end up unplugging. <gasps> This is going to bring down everything, and this is the only time that they know exactly when a lightning strike is going to is going to hit. So they've got to get this right. And they Doc do. Brown takes the initiative, zip lines down the wire from the clock tower, which he's only up because he's already been trying to frantically fix another connection. That's correct. Yeah. So he's uh-huh. it's kind of like the old uh, 
you know you pull one end out yeah exactly zip lines down the the wire re-establishes the connection at the very last second clearly risks electrocution as well in fact it looks like he does get electrocuted um, Mm -hmm. in order to send Marty back to the future back to the future okay my knockout blow hmm so, uh, my knockout blow is in the third film, which you and you've alluded to it already, but it involves your apparently favourite character, the sniper. Love that guy. Gun. Yeah, love it. Um, so when uh, Mad Dog, Mad Dog, Mad Dog Tannen finally gets a hold of Marty and uh, lassoes him, and literally goes to hang him. Pretty dark in the town square. Yeah, a very unexpected and dark turn. Although we are talking about a series where in the first one he uh, essentially rapes, uh, or attempts to rape Marty's mum. Yes. And then in the second one essentially has a living in kind of sort of slavery-ish. Yeah, definitely an abusive. An incredibly abusive relationship at the very least. Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, it's almost like it's almost like once a film, Zemeckis is just like, now let's gut punch him with something really disgusting. You know, that's completely out of place for this light-hearted comedic sci-fi fantasy. (laughs) So yeah, my knockout below is that scene where Marty's hanging there, and then Doc strolls in and uh, raises the gun and cleanly shoots the rope. uh, dropping Marty back to the ground, and I do, I, I like it because, and we were talking about this earlier not recorded which is always a mistake but uh i think one of the things about doc's best moments and it even happens in in your knockout blow just then is they're kind of very quickly overlooked for you know propelling the story forward and the dramatic tension of the time travel and the making sure marty gets where he needs to safely and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. a lot of them happen so quickly and they're just a bit understated but when you actually stop and think about them he really is uh vital it's just that the, the the movie doesn't stop to you know kind of dwell on him and sing his praises it just moves on to the next the next piece of action so that is my knockout blow yeah there's another literally um, saving marty's life right after that as well is just a nice example of the relationship he kind of gives marty a little bit of a telling off he's like marty i told you not to come back to 1885 i told you to yeah. go directly back to 1985 and then, and then Marty sort of starts to explain. And he's like, "But it's good to see you." And they have a nice little warm embrace. So, yeah, very, uh, a very, a very touching moment. Um, so there we go. End of round two. Wow! Wow! Cool. Uh, shall we go straight to scores? I Let's think we, I think we've, we've talked enough. Let's uh, put our money where our mouths are, and let's start with the scores for the genie. Comedicness. Nine. Eight. Shenanigans. Five. Seven. Sidekickery. Eight. Nine. The Meowmeter. Seven. Ten. Subtotal. Twenty-nine. Thirty-four. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> you really like Genie. He literally has magical powers and will do things uh-huh. that you say to do. Even when you free him, he sticks around. I know we said we weren't going to talk about the cartoon series, but even when you free him, he sticks around and uses magical powers for your benefit. How could he not be the most desirable sidekick? 
I, I, I don't want the responsibility of having a genie who can grant wishes for me. It oh, fuck that me. shit. I'm just going to make myself sultan and then the most powerful sorcerer in the world. Don't see how any of this could go wrong. Yeah, no. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's press on and see how Doc Brown does up against that. Uh, let's go to the scores. Dun, dun, dun. Comedicness. Eight. Five. Shenanigans. Seven. Eight. Sidekickery. Seven. Seven. The Meometer. Nine. Five. Subtotal. Thirty-one. Twenty-five. Well, there we go. A bit of disparity on Doc Brown there. I, f- I obviously find him a lot funnier than both. you do. <laughs> I think so. I guess so, yeah. I I had to mark both these guys high on the Meometer because one of them can has the power to literally transport you through time. And mm-hmm. the other one has the power to do anything, which I was thinking about this earlier, includes, if you wanted to, you could wish for a time machine, couldn't you? Which would sort of make mm-hmm. Dot Brown superfluous. Redundant, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to be honest, I didn't expect to be ranking anyone higher than Sam Gamgee for a very long time. To, to do yeah. it on the very next episode, uh, pretty I'm surprising. Um, Genie a better all-rounder I think he's funnier mm-hmm. he's got he's definitely funnier he's got a good arc he as we discussed earlier he definitely goes above and beyond and, and in many ways is Sam's equal in terms of what he's willing to to sacrifice and, and give up so so there we go I think the other thing is is that really does say a lot comparing a 90 minute movie to 55 hours of the Lord of the Rings which I think <laughs> is approximately the length of all of the extended versions so we come to the result in the runners-up position <laughs> With a very creditable uh, 56, it's... <gasps> no, it beats Hermione! Emmett Doc Brown entering the table in, I believe, third place. I may have fiddled with one of my scores at the last minute because I was self-conscious about how different it was from yours, and now I've accidentally bumped him above Hermione. That is very funny. <laughs> On Psychic Showdown with Nothing If Not Fair. Mm. Um... Okay. So, Doc Brown enters the table in the third place position, lower only than Sam Gamgee and the crew of Serenity. However, he is about to get knocked down another place, coming in, winning, and going top of the table, mind you, with 63. My gosh. It is... Genie of the Lamp! Wow. That was a barnstormer. What a clash. <laughs> I really think we should have put this off for a few weeks. I think we should... We, this was a big big fight. I didn't realise until we kind of got going on it that it was a, this is a big fight, but it was. And another two sidekicks coming in right at the top. Jesus Christ, you were generous. I couldn't find anything to fault. Oh, I, I think if anything, okay. I I put his com- I put Genie's comedicness at eight. It could have I could have said nine or ten there. Wow. Okay. Well, no, it's fine. The scores the scores tell the story. The the table never lies. In terms uh-huh. of our top ten, it's as predicted. A fond farewell to Stifler <laughs> and Wilson. I think you got to give mad props to Wilson for getting on the top. I mean, obviously, we did him in the first five episodes. We were always going to enter the top ten. But yes. being a volleyball, very credible result. Uh, but no more. They, those two have, have disappeared, which actually puts Timon and Pumbaa treading water at the bottom. Oh, that's uh, fine. 
and uh, just above them it's the Guardians of the Galaxy. So those two are now mm. looking over their shoulder very, very nervously um, and uh, and wondering what what's going to become of them over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Uh, if, if the last couple of episodes are anything to go by, they're, uh, they're in big trouble, but we, we will see. Anyway, don't go anywhere. We've still got, of course, our inspirational or practical or useful after the bell quotes to send you off into the rest of your day with. Um, but before that, Age is going to tell you all about our next episode and ways that you can support the podcast. Take it away. So our next episode is going to be coming to you on the 23rd of September. So mark that day in your calendars, of course. And we're looking at The Wizard of Oz versus Labyrinth. Uh, So tentatively titled at the moment, the episode on Yellow Brick Road. Mm. So you can look forward to that. It will be my first time watching Labyrinth ever since I was a child and saw it and I was too scared to watch it. So uh, (laughs) let's see how that goes. I know, I know, I know. And uh, in the meantime, subscribe and review and rate and follow us where our podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Cloud, Google Podcast, Stitcher and CastBox. We love reviews. We love ratings. We love anything you can give us. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash sidekick showdown podcast. And you can give us a follow on Twitter at SKSD podcast. We do post a lot up there, but not like not too much, like just the right amount really. But it's a good place if you want to uh, have any suggestions or uh, matchups or anything for us. You can get us there. Now let's go to our beautiful ending as every week after the bell. So for Jeannie, my quote this week is to be my own master. Such a thing would be greater than all the magic and all the treasures in the world. Beautiful. And last time out, I did a pretty kind of just a perfunctory, useful quote from Sam Gamgee in a slightly comedic turn, I suppose. Uh, but I've got a, quite a genuinely sort of inspirational one. It's definitely one that you could imagine on a picture with some clouds in the background, the sun shining through it sort of thing. That you've got on, <laughs> you know, it's on your, the, the wall of your office or whatever. Uh, Doc Brown, at the end of the third film, when he's leaning out of his steampunk train with his wife and his creepy boys, and he says to Marty and Jennifer... Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Fantastic. Thanks very much for listening again. And we'll see you next time. Bye.